First Baptist Melbourne podcast, making disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God. Well, good morning, church. And it is so good to be with you today. If you have your Bibles today, and I hope you do, would you turn with me to the book of Proverbs? Uh, The book of Proverbs. This is now our fourth week in this uh, study called Wisdom for Life. And so far in this series, we've seen that Proverbs contains God's wisdom for many areas of of life. We've talked about God's wisdom for, for talking, for our speech. Uh, Last week, we looked at God's wisdom for our work. Uh, Today, we're going to look at what Proverbs has to say about the important subject of friendship. Uh, What is God's wisdom for friendship? Uh, That's what we're going to dive into. But before we read what Solomon wrote in the book of Proverbs about friendship, the passage that Uh, that first comes to my mind when I think about friendship is actually in a different book that King Solomon wrote, uh, a book called Ecclesiastes. And uh, let's look at this passage uh, briefly. Just I think it will help get us uh, started thinking about this subject of friendship this morning. In uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, King Solomon says this, Then I returned and I saw vanity or meaninglessness under the sun. There is one alone without companion. He has neither son nor brother, yet there is no end to all his labors, nor is his eye satisfied with riches. But he never asks, for whom do I toil and deprive myself of good? This also is vanity and a grave misfortune. Verse 9, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken." You know, the second half of that passage really talks about uh, some of the benefits and the blessings of friendship. Uh, There are many reasons that King Solomon gives us why two are better than one. He says, when you have someone else with you, when you fall down, there's someone else uh, to lift you up. And you know, we all have times in our life uh, where we need a friend uh, to lift us up. Uh, He describes uh, perhaps the scene of of folks traveling uh, together by foot through uh, the winter months and how two are able to stay warm and two are able to defend uh, an attacker uh, when someone comes better than one man can do alone. And then he talks about a group of friends, a threefold cord and how it is not easily broken. Uh, It it is a beautiful and memorable description of the value of good friends. But what really strikes me is is the beginning of this passage where Solomon writes about the person who does not have a friend, the person who is alone. And he says that they just work and they work and they toil away and they're trying to earn lots of money, but they never stop and even ask themselves, why am I doing all of this? Who am I doing all of this for? You know, I think in many ways that's a fitting description of the culture that we live in in America today when it comes to friendships. 
In our culture today, we are very, very busy. We are doing all sorts of things all the time. Uh, We are chasing after money. We are working, but collectively as a society, we probably have never been more lonely. A 2018 study by Barna Research revealed that one in five Americans stated that they regularly or very often feel lonely. One out of five. And that percentage seems to be getting greater and greater with every passing generation. In fact, in that same study, whereas the oldest generation surveyed, only 6% of them said that they regularly felt lonely, When it comes to millennials, a full 25% said that they regularly feel lonely. In other words, American adults in their 20s and 30s self-report that they are four times more likely to feel lonely on a regular basis than the oldest Americans in our society. And we don't have time today to unpack and think through all of the possible reasons for that, but I do think that we should give some thought to why that might be the case. And perhaps we have forgotten some things that our grandparents' generation understood about friendship. You know, again, that Barna survey was done back in 2018. That was before the years 2020 and 2021 in which the COVID pandemic happened and we collectively isolated ourselves from each other and from our friends for months or even a year or longer. And that had an incredible impact upon our relationships and friendships. I, I came across an insightful article by author Jeremy Lindman about how COVID has affected our friendships. He wrote that, quote, the cure for one pandemic only deepened another one, referring to what he calls the pandemic of loneliness. In his article, Lindman cites a study that was done during COVID, which said that from March of 2020 and onward, the average American spent one less hour per day outside of their own home with their friends. And the average American spent one more hour per day watching a screen. And what that means is just in 2020 alone, from March of that year to the end of that year, we collectively spent or individually spent 300 fewer hours face-to-face with our friends and 300 more hours watching a screen. There, There is no way that that has not affected our friendships and our relationships, and I believe that trend has largely Continued, And so digitally, we are more connected than ever before. And yet relationally, I would argue that we're less connected than ever before. And that is a big, big problem because you know what? We don't need friends any less than the generations who came before us. God has created us in his own image. He has hardwired us for relationships with other people. We all need real, meaningful, authentic, long-lasting friendships. But fewer and fewer people, it seems, actually have them. Well, if this is the current status of things, what does the Bible have to say about it? What wisdom for friendships can we find from the wisest man ever, King Solomon. Well, as we look at some of the verses in Proverbs about this subject of friendship, I want us to to discover together today seven principles 
for godly friendships. Seven principles for godly friendships. Here's the first principle. Number one, it's so important for every person, every age person in this room right now. The Bible says, choose your friends carefully because you will end up a lot like them. Now we should already know this truth that our friends have a powerful effect on the way we live our lives. And that effect, by the way, it isn't necessarily bad. It can be a positive thing or it can be a negative thing. It really is about the friends that we choose to surround ourselves with. In fact, in Proverbs 13, 20, Solomon gives us both sides of that principle. He says, he who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. So if we want to be wise, which is what this whole series is about, if we want to walk through life wisely, following God's wisdom for life, then we had better find some wise people, some wise men and some wise women to surround ourselves with. But alternatively, if we are friends with a bunch of fools, Solomon says, uh, we're going to be foolish also. And they're going to lead us into a life of folly that only leads to one destination, ultimately to our own destruction. And you don't just find this principle in the Old Testament. Paul writes about this in the New Testament as well. In 1 Corinthians 15, we read, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits or good character. Now, in that context, Paul is uh, talking about how bad company corrupts our good doctrine and what we believe. But this really has application, I believe, to every part of our lives. We're not going to think or live or speak in a God-honoring way, in an uncorrupted way, if we choose bad company to surround ourselves with. And back in Proverbs, Solomon unpacks just specific areas where when we surround ourselves with bad company, it's going to lead us down a a downward direction in terms of our character. Proverbs 16, 29 says, A violent man entices his neighbor and leads him in a way that is not good. Proverbs 22, 24 and 25 adds on to that idea and says, Make no friendship with an angry man. And with a furious man, do not go, lest you learn his ways and set a snare for your soul. And we're going to speak more about this subject of anger next week. But Solomon says, if you spend a lot of time with angry, hot-headed people, uh, pretty soon you're going to learn their ways and you're going to be more and more like them. And this is true in every area of life. The term that we use for this effect that friends have upon us is peer pressure. And that's something that I'm sure we have all learned from the time that we were a child, the pressure that our peers, our friends can exert upon our lives. But I'm afraid sometimes we forget how powerful uh, that impact can be. I heard about something that author Dennis Rainey uh, did for many, many years. He taught a sixth grade Sunday school class, a large sixth grade class. It had 60 uh, sixth grade boys and girls in this class. And every year, uh, he said he would do the same experiment with him. He would pick two uh, of the most outgoing, confident kids uh, in that sixth grade group, and he would send them outside of the room for a couple minutes. And while they were outside of the room, he talked to the rest of the kids in the class, and he said, now you're about to see a drama take place on the stage. And in this drama, someone is going to steal something from someone else. 
And then when the drama is over, I'm gonna ask you to vote on whether it was right or wrong for that person to steal that thing. And he said, here's what I want you to do though. Here's the catch. I want you to all vote the wrong way. And I'm gonna have you vote by standing up. And so I want you to all stand up when I say, was it okay for this person to steal this thing? I want you to all stand. So he told him all this. And then after he was done, he brought the two kids back into the room that didn't hear any of that. He sat them down in the very middle of the group with 60 other sixth grade boys and girls surrounding them. They all watched the drama. At the end of the drama, he, it was time for the vote. And he said, now, if you think it was okay for that person to steal that thing, I want you to vote right now and stand up. And the whole group whoo, stood to their feet. And he said, every year it was the same thing. I watched those two kids as they sat in the middle of that room. Everyone was standing around them. And for a second, they tried to keep their seat. But eventually, every year, they stood up. Because the pressure that was exerted by all of the people in that room was just too much for them to be able to withstand. I know you might hear that and say, well, that's an extreme example. But it just speaks to the power of of peer pressure. And we cannot deny what the Bible so plainly tells us that our friends will determine the path that we go down in life. When I was a youth pastor in Raleigh, I would tell my students in the youth ministry, I would say, if you'll just let me spend one day with your five closest friends, I'll be able to tell you the way you're going to be living one year from now. Because those five friends that you surround yourself with are really going to determine the path that you go down. And you know what? There are some of you in this room right now, some children, uh, some teenagers, uh, some young adults, some middle-aged adults, and, and, and who knows, maybe even some senior adults. And at one point in your life, you truly wanted to walk closely with the Lord. But if you're honest about it right now, you are not walking all that closely with the Lord at all. And for some of you, the reason why that is the case is that you have some friends in your life who will not let you. You have some friends in your life who do not love the Lord like you do. Some friends in your life who do not believe the word of God. Friends who have no interest in living their life on the path of wisdom that the Bible talks about. It's the farthest thing from their minds. And they are right now, and they have been for some time, actively leading you further and further and further away from the Lord. And I want to tell you something, and I know this may sound harsh, but I really don't care how it sounds because it is the truth. That you need to ditch those friends today. And I don't mean to be mean about that. I don't mean that you can never talk to them again or that you have to do that in a mean way. But if those friends are actively leading you further and further from the Lord Jesus Christ, that is not a healthy friendship. And you need to distance yourself from that friend who is pulling you further away from Christ. And you need to form some new friendships with people who will encourage you to follow hard after Jesus. Because the Bible is crystal clear. If you keep walking with fools, you're going to be a fool. But if you walk with the wise, you will learn to be wise. I already can hear somebody saying, but pastor, didn't, didn't Jesus, doesn't the Bible say that Jesus was a friend of tax collectors and sinners? 
And and aren't we supposed to be friends with lost people so that we can be salt and light and and so that we can tell them about the Lord and introduce them to the Lord? And yes, we are. And all of that is the case. We should be friends with lost people. Listen, to the degree that we are mature enough in our faith to do that. To the degree that we are mature enough in our faith to influence them positively towards the Lord rather than allowing them to negatively influence us away from the Lord. But I would still tell you that those folks should probably not be your very closest friends. Here's the question that I want you to think about. Do your closest friends make you want to be more like Jesus or less like Jesus? Very simple question. Do your closest friends that you have in this life make you want to live more like Jesus or less like Jesus? And if the answer is less like Jesus, then you need some new friends. We've got to pick up the pace here. So more quickly, here's principle number two about friendship in Proverbs. Know that some people in life will want to use your friendship. In other words, not everybody who claims to be your friend is actually your friend. To put it bluntly, some of them just want to use you. And Solomon warns us about that in Proverbs 19. He says, wealth makes many friends, but the poor is separated from his friend. Many entreat the favor of the nobility, and every man is a friend to the one who gives gifts. All the brothers of the poor hate him. How much more do his friends go far from him? He may pursue them with words, and yet they abandon him. In Proverbs 14, Solomon says much the same thing. The poor man is hated even by his own neighbor, but the rich has many friends. You know, Solomon was one of, if not the richest man on the planet during his lifetime, and he knew this by experience. Not everybody that wanted to be Solomon's friend wanted to be his friend because he told the best jokes or cooked the best barbecue. Some of them just wanted access to him because they wanted access to his stuff. That's why he tells us everybody wants to be a friend with the rich guy who gives lots of presents. You know, but didn't we learn this principle like back when we were kids, right? You remember in your neighborhood, that one kid that had a swimming pool and nobody else did? And everybody wanted to be that kid's friend, right? Or when, you know, when, uh, you know, the PlayStation 4 comes out, right? And there's only one kid that has that. Everybody wants to be that kid's friend. For me, it was Super Nintendo, right? But you want to be that kid's friend, not necessarily because you want to be his friend. And it doesn't really change when we get older. Some people are not sincere. Some people are not authentic in this broken world. We need to be aware of that. But of course, also as Christians, we would certainly never want to be that kind of a friend who wants to be a friend with somebody, not because we sincerely and genuinely love them, but because we are looking to receive from them. Because we have a Savior who told us it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. And that's what our friendships should look like. Here's principle number three about friendship. Solomon says, help your friends when you can in a way that is wise. I love this proverb, Proverbs chapter three. Solomon says, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in the power of your hand to do so. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come back and tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. I love this because it's so easy to to visualize this and it's really something that people still do today, right? You say, well, man, I'd love to help you, but man, I just, like I can't right now. 
But, you know, maybe if you come back like next week, I usually like to help people on Tuesdays after the winter solstice on the seventh of every month, right? But, but you know, what you're really saying when you're saying that is like, I don't want to tell you no, but really I hope like you never come back. And the word of God is saying, don't do that. If you can help someone, if it's within your power and your ability to help them in that moment, well then help them and, and certainly be the kind of friend that is always ready to help. Uh, Proverbs seventeen seventeen is probably one of the most famous of the Proverbs about friendship. And it gets at a similar idea. It says, a friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for adversity or born for times of adversity. We have brothers, we have family uh, for those times of trial and adversity in our life when things are hard. Family should certainly be there uh, to pick one another up, but friends also. And Solomon would even argue sometimes friends more so that a friend loves at all times, in good times and in bad times. And you know, it, it isn't that when you really find out who your real friends are, right? You, you find out in those moments who your fair-weather friends are, who are only there when your life is a party and things are going well. But then you find out who those real, loyal, faithful friends are who are with you when your life has just hit rock bottom. A friend loves at all times. And that's the kind of friend that we should be to others. Now, I will just add that there is a verse that comes right after the verse we just read. Right after Proverbs 17, 17 is Proverbs 17, 18, which says this, a man devoid of understanding shakes hands in a pledge and becomes surety for his friend. So right after Solomon says a friend loves at all times, Solomon basically says, but don't be dumb and co-sign on somebody else's loan. <laughs> and, and this is a, there's a lot of Proverbs actually about that in the book of Proverbs. And this probably goes beyond uh, the bounds of what we have time to talk about today. But I just simply mention that to say this, even though we're called to love at all times and to minister to our friends and to help them when we can, it, it, it doesn't mean that we automatically do whatever our friends ask us to do. Even if what they're asking us to do is not wise, if it's not wise for them and it's not wise for us. Sometimes as a faithful friend, we have to say, no, we're not going to do that. And you shouldn't be doing that either. And so we need to remember that we want to always be there and love at all times, but in a way that is wise and truly helpful to the individual. Here's another principle about friendship. Solomon says, if you want to be a good friend to people, then, you know, like just don't be annoying. That's principle number four. Don't be annoying. And I love how practical and just spot on the book of Proverbs is when it just comes to real everyday life. Because Solomon gives some pretty comical examples of things that are just irritating and annoying. And um, now, ladies, wives, I'm not going to quote today all the Proverbs that talk about that. Uh, there will be no dripping faucet quotes that, that I'm about to give you. All right? I, they are in the book of Proverbs, but I don't want tomatoes to be thrown at me today. And so here, here's one that is for all of us, right? Proverbs 27, 14. He who blesses his friend with a loud voice rising early in the morning, it will be counted as a curse to him. <laughs> Solomon says, don't be the guy that knocks on your neighbor or your friend's door at five in the morning just to give them a cheery good morning. People don't tend to love that. And you know, if you catch me before I've had my coffee or a shower or my quiet time, I don't know what my reaction might be to that. 
And, and again, I think this is Solomon's way of saying, don't be annoying. Think about what you're doing. Think about whether it is a blessing to your friend or whether it might be an irritant to your friend. Another really practical proverb is in Proverbs 25. It says, seldom set foot in your neighbor's house, lest he become weary of you and hate you. <laughs> The modern day version of that, that some of us were taught growing up, sounds like this. Don't wear out, you finish it, you're welcome, right? Don't wear out, you're welcome. Sometimes less is more, right? Sometimes we can spend so much time with a friend that it actually ends up damaging that friendship and we end up really just getting on one another's nerves, you know, when we hear this principle about don't be annoying, I don't think that, that most of us feel like we're going around doing annoying things all the time, but we need to think about the things that we do that are just inconsiderate towards our friends. I remember when I was in college at Florida State, I had a couple of uh, roommates, some great friends. One of them is Pastor Jason Mole, our kids pastor, and four guys living in a really tiny apartment in Tallahassee, and it was far, far from clean and sanitary. And one of the things that we didn't do a great job of, and when I, when I say we, I mean me, was washing our dishes. And so uh, there were times where I didn't wash my dishes. I left them in the sink, and, you know, one day would become two, become, you know, 14. And my, my roommates would, would say to me, you know, you really need to wash your dishes. And they would bring it up over and over again. Finally, they got so irritated by me, they took all of the dishes in the sink, they put it in a cardboard box, and they set it on my bed in my bedroom. <laughs> I think that was their way of saying, this is starting to be too much. And maybe you've never done that, but what are some things that maybe you've done that, that, you know, just are not considerate of your friends? You know, maybe you are that person that sends that early morning text or late night text when it really isn't an emergency. You know, maybe you're that person that ghosts your friends. You know, you, you, they send a message to you and you don't respond to them for seven days. You, would, you want your friends to respond to you and you need something from, from them, but when they reply to you, you, you don't respond quite as quickly. Maybe you don't show up to things that you say that you're going to be at. Maybe you kind of flake out at the last minute when your friend has put a lot of time and effort into planning something and you bail on them. I don't know what things maybe the Lord brings to your mind, but just ways that in your friendships right now, you're being inconsiderate. We, we don't want to be that kind of friend. It really goes back to the golden rule, doesn't it, that Jesus gave us to do unto others what we would want them to do unto us, to be the kind of friend to other people. Uh, that you would want them to be to you. Here's principle number five about friendship. Such an important truth, church. It's not about how many friends you have in life. It's about having a few faithful friends. You notice I put that word friends in quotes because there are some quote unquote friends who are not actually your real friends. Uh, for example, you, you might have 1,700 friends on your Facebook account or your Instagram account, but you really do not have 1,700 friends. I mean, you can't even possibly have that many friends or even know what's going on in their lives and keep it in your minds. And you probably don't have 1,700 people who are going to show up in that time of crisis in your life. And so I, despite what our culture would have us to believe that the goal of life is not to see how many social media friends or followers or subscribers that we can get. In fact, in chasing popularity and believing that if you have a ton of friends in your life, you will be awesome and you will have made it, that actually is a mirage and a trap. 
And it will not, you will not find lasting joy in pseudo friendships with people that are really nothing more than acquaintances at best. But you will find joy, and so will I, in a few deep friendships with a handful of faithful friends. Solomon says the same thing, Proverbs 18, 24, a person of too many friends comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Now that might be striking to you as you read that, that there could be such a thing as too many friends, but there can be, where you're making friends indiscriminately with everybody and anybody, some of whom, like we talked about earlier, aren't really your friends. And they're, they're really just using you for their own purposes. And, and chasing after that in life can actually lead to your ruin because you don't really have a real friend when you need one. But conversely, Solomon says, there is a kind of friend that sticks closer than a brother. You can find friends like that in this life. And some of us have been blessed by God to be able to find friends like that, that, that are faithful and are present in your life, that actually stick closer to you than sometimes even blood relatives. And you can depend on them even more at times than you can your own family. Now let me ask you, do you have a friend or two like that. I, I pray that you do. And I want you to begin thinking about that because in just a minute or two, I'm going to ask you to write down some of those names of those close friends in your life. Here's principle number six. This has been so profoundly true of the few faithful close friends that the Lord has given to me. Good, godly friends will sharpen and encourage one another. There are three verses in Proverbs 27 that all kind of get at this truth in different ways. First, Proverbs 27.9 says, Ointment and perfume delight the heart, and the sweetness of a man's friend gives delight by hearty counsel. So in the same way that perfume will sweeten a room and sweeten the air, when we spend time with those close, faithful friends and we talk with them and we receive their counsel and input into our life, it refreshes us and it adds sweetness and pleasure and joy to our lives. And that actually is the case even when sometimes because they love us, our close friends have to say some things to us that we really don't want to hear. Proverbs 27, 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Yes, it hurts sometimes when our friends have to say difficult things to us that we need to hear. But if they are really a faithful friend, then those wounds are faithful wounds. They might hurt, but they will not harm. And ultimately, they will help if we receive the words that they are sharing with us. And then Proverbs 27 is one of the most famous verses about friendship. It says, as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. When I read that verse, I always think about uh, those friendships in particular that are accountability friendships uh, between uh, two or more godly friends of the same gender who are holding one another accountable. It's like iron sharpening another piece of iron. And when you spend time with that person and you give them permission to ask some of those hard questions that need to be asked, it actually ends up with both of you being sharper. 
with both of you being more like the Lord Jesus than you were before. And again, God has blessed me with some friends like that. Uh, A few friends that I've had since the time that I was a child and a teenager. And I can tell you that throughout my teenage years, throughout my college years, throughout my seminary years, and even now as a middle-aged man, we all have families of our own. And yet to still have some of those same friends in my life, the blessing that they have been to me, uh, the encouragement that they have been to me, and I pray that I have been to them, I, I truly do not know where I would be without those faithful friends uh, in my life. And, and I can't even tell you what it means to me as a man to know that I have a few other men that I know if I called would be there the moment I called. What it means to me to know uh, that if I have to go to war, that if I have to run through a wall, there would be some friends who would run through that wall with me if the Lord called us to do that. Friend, do you have some godly friends like that? I pray that you do, and I, and I know that many of you in this room do have those kind of friends, but perhaps some of you here uh, didn't grow up in, in a Christian environment. Maybe you're a relatively new believer and and maybe as you're thinking about your circle of friends right now, you're you're even realizing that most of your close friends really are not godly influences in your life. Maybe you're new to this area, to Melbourne, and you have some close friends where you lived before, but now time and distance and space has separated you from those friends. and, And now you're in need of some new godly friends who live right here in your community in Melbourne, where you are. You know, I pray that this church, and in particular, the small groups in our church would be a place where you can make some of those friendships. And you can meet some people in those small groups who love the Lord Jesus, who are going the same direction as you and can help spur you on. You know, I don't hear this often, but when I do, it really breaks my heart. When I hear somebody who says, you know, I've been coming to First Baptist for a while. I've been coming for a few months now or maybe longer. And I just, I just we've really been struggling to get connected. We've really been struggling to make those connections and to really have some real deep friendships with other people. That breaks my heart when I hear that. And what I would just say to those of us who have been here in this church, maybe for a longer period of time, is just to say, you know, when new people come in, let's always be looking out for those who are new. You know, when we move into our new worship center, I think we're going to have even more new people on a weekly basis who are coming. Let's be looking out for those people. Let's remember what it was like the first day that we walked in here. When you were new to this place and what it felt like and, and, and be the kind of friend to those people that you would have wanted someone to be to you. You know, to go beyond just that superficial, you know, hey, how you doing? What's your name? But, but to go beyond that to really inviting them to your small group, inviting them to go out to lunch with you and some other families, inviting them over to your home and, and, and connecting them, introducing them to some of your other friends so they can make connections too. Because just like you do, just like I do, they also need some of those godly, faithful friends that can help spur them on in their walk with the Lord. Here's the last principle, principle number seven. We won't spend long on this at all, but it's important that we remember to treasure the real friends that God gives to us in this life because they really are, listen, they really are some of the greatest gifts that God gives to us this side of heaven. In Proverbs 27:10, Solomon says, do not forsake your friend or your father's friend. 
nor go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor nearby than a brother far away. And Solomon says, don't forsake, don't, don't abandon, don't leave behind that faithful friend or even your father's friend who's been a part of your family, a family friend for, for many, many decades. Don't, don't forsake those friendships. Instead, treasure those friendships. And Jenny Allen has written a book called, and I love this title, Find Your People, Find Your People. And in that book, she argues that most people have an outer ring is what she calls it of somewhere around 50 acquaintances at the most. And you really can only keep up with about 50 other people and some of the things that are going on in their lives. And so she talks about 50 other acquaintances in that outer circle. Then she talks about a middle ring or a middle circle that most people have. She calls it a village where you have 15 or 20 people in that circle that you spend some more time with. But then she says, inside of that, most people only have between two and five really close, intimate, personal friends. And I want you to think for a minute about who those two to five faithful friends are right now in your life. I want you to go ahead and write their names down on a piece of paper, on your phone, right? What are, what are some of those names? Those two, three, four, five friends that, that are the closest friends in your life. And, and I don't want you to think right now, you know, about maybe that childhood friend that uh, you were really close to when you were eight, but you only talk to them once a year now. I want you to think about those friends that, that are right now actively a part of your everyday life. You're doing life with them. Uh, they know what's going on in your life and you know what's going on in theirs. Who are those People and, and as you write those names down, I want you to kind of evaluate that list that you've written down. And, and think about the question that we asked earlier, that question of are your closest friends people who make you want to be more like Jesus or less like Jesus? And maybe as you look at that list, you see a name or two on there that, that really, as you look back over your friendship, has been leading you further from Christ than, than closer to Christ. And that's just an indication. That friendship probably needs to distance a little bit from where it is right now. Maybe as you look at that list, you're blessed enough to see a name or two or three on there that truly are spurring you on to follow hard after Jesus. If that's the case, Christian, treasure that friendship. And here's the practical thing I want you to do. And I'm going to, I'm going to encourage you to do this this week. Between today and next Sunday when we gather for worship again, I want to encourage you in some form or fashion to reach out to those two, three, four, five godly friends that you have and just thank them for what their friendship means to you. You know, sometimes we take our friends for granted. And sometimes we, we never tell our friend what their friendship meant in our life until we're standing there at their funeral. And it really shouldn't be that way, should it? All the way along through our life and through our friendship, we should be telling them what they mean to us and the impact that they're having upon our lives. I want to encourage you also this week to, to press in to those friendships. Friendships take time. It takes sacrifice. And so spend some extra time with those friends, with at least one of those close friends this week. Make time for those friendships because you know what? We all need them and we all need friendships. I would also add this. We need friendships with people of the same gender as us. If we're married, uh, you know, as husbands, we, we need some friendships with some other guys in our life that are gonna be able to meet some needs in our life that our wives were not designed by God to meet. 
I would say the same thing to wives, that you need some friendships with some other godly women who are able to meet needs in your life that God never designed your husband to meet. And if you're putting all of the weight of friendship upon your husband, that's a weight that he was not designed by God to bear. That you need, we all need some other friendships with people of the same gender. Let's lean into that and spend the time that's needed. Single folks, you need a tribe of people who are running the same direction as you. And hopefully that direction is straight towards Jesus. And I pray you'd find people like that here in this church. I I pray in this church, we would not just be a church where we talk about friendship, but we would be a church where we really have authentic friendships. That this would be a place where we model to a culture that has largely forgotten how important real friendships are. What friendship looks like and how to love one another just as God has loved us. You know, as I think about this theme of friendship in Proverbs, you know, the friendship that we really need the most is friendship with the God who has made us. And it's kind of hard to think about that, I think, to think in that category, right? We're, we're sinners, you know, how, how could we be friends with a perfect, holy, righteous God. And, and yet in the Bible, that language is used, isn't it? Abraham was described as the friend of God. And Jesus, the, the night before he went to the cross, was speaking to his disciples. And this is what he said to them. John 15, 15, he said, I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends. Since I have told you everything the Father has told me. How amazing is that verse? Think about that. Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, the eternal Son of God, the Alpha and the Omega, the King of Kings, calls you and me friends. And a couple verses before that, he tells us how it's possible that we can be friends. This is what he says, John 15, 13. Greater love has no man than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. Now that wasn't something Jesus was just talking about. Church, that's something that Jesus did at nine o'clock the next day. At nine o'clock the next day, he was crucified. He was nailed to a tree because greater love has no one than this. And he lays down his life for his friends. And that's what he did for you and for me. Even though we had lived like God's enemies, even though we had been running the opposite direction from the Lord. God loved us anyway. And he loved us with a love that pursued us. And he sent his son Jesus to lay down his life for us, to pay for all of our sin, our sin in this area of friendship and our sin in every other area of life. And he sent Jesus to lay down his life, to pay for our sin, to rise again on the third day. And now because he did that, you and I, we can be friends of God. And if you're here and you would say, I'm not sure I am a friend of God right now, but I want to be a friend of God. I I hear what you're saying about what Jesus did for me, and I want to receive that into my life. We're going to sing in just a moment. As soon as we start singing, if that's you, I want to invite you to come and just simply say that I want to be a friend of God. I want to receive Jesus as my Lord, as my Savior. I want to walk through life with that greatest friend that I could ever have who laid down his life for me. Let's stand together. If that's you, you come right now. Receive that friendship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Let's worship together.